once Trinidad gets going after the capitulation in 1797, the population is growing, the economy is growing, but in a few short years, the slave trade is ended. The slave trade ends 1806-1807, and that's a problem. Welcome to Growing Up Woodbrook, the podcast. I'm Cecile George, Woodbrook born and raised and a member of the Woodbrook Residence Committee. We're discovering how the area known as Woodbrook came into being through its vibrant, turbulent history and an unprecedented mix of cultures and races. In 1888, Woodbrook land was a cane estate. It was only good just for planting rice. But look at it now, it is a paradise. Oh, what a decent locality. Now is the Woodbrook vicinity. Come with us into episode 5, Eastern Rhythms. This growing economy is not able to import slaves in the way they had been importing slaves for the previous two, three hundred years. Up until that time, people would have brought their slaves with them from the various islands, and there was inter-island trading of slaves for a while, so that while you could not buy slaves who came from Africa, you could buy slaves who had already landed in the region. And it would appear there was a significant amount of slave kidnapping and stealing and just generally moving people around the region because they're seeing all the possibilities for sugar in Trinidad and you don't have the kind of capacity to bring in labor. But worse was to come in the 1820s when the amelioration of slavery took place and the idea was that you were to treat the enslaved in a particular way. The amelioration laws require them to be treated in a much more humane way. And that humanity was not in keeping with the labor requirements. So that from the 1820s, you had a lot of discussion about the difficulties that would ensue. I'm a slave from a land so far. I was caught and I was brought here from Africa. I'm a slave. The thinking on the part of the British was that if slavery could be humanized, it probably could be sustained compared to what had happened in Haiti. And what had happened in Haiti was really a large cloud over the Caribbean for many, many years after the Haitian Revolution. For we crossed the seas to reach in the West Indies And then they made me walk Oh yes, I walk A good Lord don't care It was almost as if it could happen here And therefore, let us try to see what we could do To prevent it from happening That was on the part of the governors But many of the planters really were much more interested in trying to get as much as they could out of the slaves and trying to defend themselves by being part of militias and there was always some kind of paramilitary preparation in case there was either attack from enemy country or more likely a slave insurrection.
The amelioration proposals of the 1820s did not go very far, and by this time, the lobby in England was growing for various reasons, not the least of which was the fact that the changes of the Industrial Revolution had brought about in England from the end of the 18th and in the early years of the 19th saw that country understanding that one of the things that was required more than free labor was a consuming population, and it would appear that the lobbying of the newer members of parliament, not the old rotten boroughs that the British planters had come from, but the new industrialized lords, those who are coming out of the newly industrialized areas, are seeing the whole business of slavery as being backward and not willing to vote for it. So the writing was on the wall. The British were going to end slavery and emancipate the slaves and that is what happens between 1834 and 1838 with the little period of apprenticeship. And what follows is Trinidad being the country in the Caribbean that has the greatest need for labor. With emancipation in 1834, Maurice foresaw labor issues and financial hardship and put the estate up for sale in 1838, but there was no interest. In 1840, the British and foreign anti-slavery reporter advised his readers that the Woodbrook estate, which is the nearest to Port of Spain, and consequently one of the oldest and most nearly worn-out sugar estates, and is without any woodlands in its vicinity, the owner asked ten thousand pounds. I want a plantation on it at any cost. Where might the poor population call me master, call me Paul? The eventual purchaser of the Woodbrook Estate was the corporation of W. H. Burnley and Company. William Harden Burnley had been the biggest slave owner in the country and was responsible for shaping much of Trinidad's racial and immigration policy from 1810 until his death in 1850. When we think about William Burley, he was considered at one time the richest planter in Trinidad. In fact, there was that island steamer that was named after him. And he was also the person that was credited with really indicating that we needed to get another source of labor for the plantations from as early as 1814. So he would have been one of the early voices in promoting basically the indentureship that came into being in the 1840s. Faced with an acute labor shortage following emancipation of the enslaved in 1838, the British colonial government turned to immigrant labor. Jamaica has been going from the 1650s, Barbados from the 1620s, so they really had a very settled group of laborers and a very settled plantation arrangement. Trinidad is frontier, they're clearing land, they're setting up new estates. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of estates settled in Trinidad. And what they require is bodies. They need hands, they need labor. And so much can be provided by bringing people over from other islands of the emancipation. And that is what happened. Various experimental immigration schemes were used, involving other British West Indian colonies, West Africans liberated from other countries' slave ships, Portuguese from Madeira, and Chinese from China's southern Guangdong province. But these efforts were unsuccessful in providing a sustained and manageable labor force. 
immediately after emancipation, you had waves of Caribbean people moving to Trinidad where they would do estate work. But even that was not enough. And you have the first attempt to start bringing Chinese and the attempt to bring the Germans, and none of those really worked. They did not provide people in the numbers required, and they did not provide people who were willing to be used in the way that slavery requires use for profit. Burnley was one of the early advocates of East Indian labor, which he saw as a necessary replacement to what he termed the lazy and ignorant Negro, and also as a means to create conflict between the two races. He knew that the caste system in India was stratified along colorist lines and understood immediately the value that such a system would have in advancing both the European claim to dominance and keeping those of African descent in submission. He suggested settlements of South Asians, a docile and intelligent class of laborers already accustomed to agriculture, to whom the climate would present no drawbacks and whose very prejudices of caste would keep them from combining with the slaves. There are lots of suggestions people are suggesting all over the place what can be done. But the one that really, really worked, and worked for Trinidad, of course, is the East Indian indentureship, which went on until the second decade of the 20th century. On May 30th, 1845, the Fatal Razak docked in the Port of Spain Harbour, bringing over 200 East Indians from Calcutta. These immigrants were contracted to work on the island's plantations for five to ten year periods under the indentureship system that lasted until 1917. Once arrived on the island, they were allowed a couple of weeks rest and were then farmed out to the estates that had ordered their labor. From 1866, the ships would dock at Nelson Island, where the workers would be temporarily quarantined until they were sent to the requesting estates. And that explains the provision of adequate labor for what was in fact a sugar industry that had been a little bit past its prime. And it also explains yet another group of people to add to what at the time must have been, and which up until today remains one of the most interesting mixtures of people in a small place, which is what Trinidad has had. Between 1843 and the mid-1890s, Woodbrook remained a functioning sugar plantation with its own factory, producing almost all grades of sugar except the most refined. The factory occupied the area now known as Seagirt Square, between Rosalino and Alberto Streets. People now, well the younger generation, will not be aware of some of the infrastructure that would have existed during the era of the sugarcane. For example, even the railway system that provided transport for the sugarcane or the taskers and of course the bull carts in many of the rural communities and that of course brings us to the buffalipso which was created here in Trinidad by Dr. Seaman Bennett and the buffalipso is really one of the hardiest beasts of burdens in the world and that was the mainstay of the sugarcane industry in the 20th century so that every farmer would have at least one or two of these buffalipsos to take the cane from the fields to a scale and then from the scale 
it will be taken by a taskers and again taskers we don't really see but really is a big 40 foot container well instead of a container it's like a steel basket that's loaded with cane and carried on the 10 wheeler truck to the sugarcane factory the baggers we use back in the fields the rum we know that has become part of the society and of course the molasses used to make one of the local sweets tolum so everything from the sugarcane really was basically used the estate was now primarily powered by East Indian indentured laborers who lived in barrack type housing not far from the estate manager's house, which occupied the spot on Robert Street where the Woodbrook Fire Station now stands. In 1891, government records showed 56 indentured and 26 free East Indians lived on the Woodbrook estate. Our next episode will take us into the 20th century with the Woodbrook Estate falling under new ownership and transitioning again to become something completely different. The transformation is so very nice, turning a Kenya Estate into a paradise. There were no electric lights in Woodbrook. I'm your host, Cecile George. Our podcast is a companion to the Growing Up Woodbrook Coffee Table Book, currently available worldwide, jointly published by the Woodbrook Residence Committee and the National Trust of Trinidad and Tobago. Let us give our compliments for the improvement is magnificent. This podcast was made possible by the hard work and collaboration of many people, including educator and historian Valerie Taylor, National Trust Education Outreach Officer Marlon Green, music curator Sean Randu, and musicologist Patrice Cox Neves. The music in this episode was History of the Woodbrook Vicinity by the Mighty Growler, Slave by the Mighty Sparrow, Kahiman Omar by Sundar Popo, and I Want a Plantation by Johnny My Boy. We invite you to join us on this journey through Woodbrook's history. Subscribe and spread the word. Tell a friend or ten about our podcast and our book. If you'd like to ask a question or leave a comment, you can click on the link in the show notes to record a voicemail. And we'll see you back here next time on Growing Up Woodbrook, the podcast. <laughs>